Welcome to Baptist Perspective with Jimmy Barber. Whether you're listening while driving home from work, sitting with a hot cup of coffee, or making dinner, we hope this podcast will be thought-provoking and edifying. Now, here with today's episode is Jimmy Barber. We want to remind you that our purpose is not to provide a detailed study of this subject, that is, who are the candidates for baptism. We are simply looking at the foundational arguments and verses used to support the differing views. While we differ from the Protestants, it is not our intent to belittle them, but to give instruction as to why we as Baptists cannot follow their practices. Our purpose is to support and instruct Baptists and not to tear down others. But the arguments of others must be considered since they are given as being opposite to our beliefs. There are verses used by the Protestants whereby they believe infant baptism is inferred where the Greek words for baptism are not included. In an earlier study, we found that in the Westminster Confession of Faith, it is stated that the Quote, infants of one or both believing parents are to be baptized, end of quote. For support of this statement, the following passages are referenced. Genesis 17, 7 and 9, connected with Galatians 3, 9 and 14. Colossians 2, 11 and 12, Acts 2, 38 and 39. Romans 4, 11 and 12, 1 Corinthians 7, 14. Matthew 28:19, Mark 10:13 through 16, and Luke 18:15. We see that the Protestants begin with Genesis 17 when the Lord made a covenant with Abraham regarding his seed and the land of Canaan. Let us remember as Adoniram Judson said, Quote, it does not follow that children are connected with their parents in every covenant because they are connected with their parents in one covenant, end of quote. He further stated, quote, the whole strength of the argument now presented rests in the supposition that the covenant of grace in which Christians now stand is the same with the covenant of circumcision in which children were connected with their parents, end of quote. It is clear that Judson knew the arguments for infant baptism because he was a Congregationalist minister prior to becoming a Baptist. Also, we need to keep in mind that the New Covenant clearly identifies that everyone in it is a child of God. Hebrews 8, 10-13 makes this clear. We read, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me, from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith a new covenant, he hath made the first old. 
Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Notice that God said regarding everyone in the new covenant, quote, I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more, end of quote. Those in the new covenant, quote, know the Lord, for all shall know him from the least to the greatest. This is not what the scriptures declare regarding children born into the world. Our Lord said, quote, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. John 3, 6. Even Job said, who can bring a clean thing out of an unclean? Not one. Job 14, 4. Believing parents cannot produce believing children. They can only produce unclean children of the flesh. Therefore, such cannot be in the new covenant. And since the Protestant confession links Genesis 17, 7, and 9 with Galatians 3, 9, and 14, where it is stated, those which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham, and the promise of the Spirit is equally received through faith. Next, they give Colossians 2, 11, and 12 to support their belief of infant baptism of one or more believing parents to be in the covenant and candidate for baptism. The passage reads, In whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. As you can see, infants are not mentioned in the two verses. As we saw in a previous study, the Reformers assumed that baptism took the place of circumcision. They assume in this passage that somehow circumcision mentioned here has reference to children and, therefore, such are to be buried with Christ in baptism. Of this passage, the Baptist B.H. Carroll said, quote, that in being united to Christ, they received the seal or spiritual circumcision, and their baptism was in a figure, both a burial and a resurrection with Christ. In other words, the antitype of circumcision in regeneration and baptism symbolizes Christ's burial and resurrection and a pledge of our own. That's from his interpretation of the English Bible. There is nothing in this passage to support that infants or small children of anyone are subjects for baptism. It has to be read into the scriptures with a preconceived idea. For such assumptions, allow me to quote from Robert Shaw's book, The Reformed Faith, an exposition of the Westminster Confession of Faith. He begins, Our confession affirms that the infants of one or both believing parents are to be baptized. This might be confirmed by numerous arguments, but only a few of them can be here stated with the utmost brevity. The first argument, 
The infants of believing parents are to be considered as within the covenant and therefore entitled to receive its seal. The covenant which God made with Abraham was substantially the same with that under which believers now are. This appears by comparing Genesis 17.7, where the covenant made with Abraham is expressed, with Hebrews 8.10, where the new covenant is expressed. In the one, the promise is, I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee in their generation, for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, and in the other, I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Now notice here, the author fails to quote that their sins and their iniquities would not be charged against any included in this covenant. Obviously, all infants that are baptized are not saved, the author continues, We thus find that when God established his covenant with Abraham, he embraced his infant seed in that covenant, and that the promise made to Abraham and to his seeds is still endorsed to us. And I ask, even in the land of Canaan, that this is endorsed to us, he continues, is evident from the express declaration of the Apostle Peter, Acts 2.39. The promise is unto you and to your children. If children are included in the covenant, we conclude that they have a right to baptism, the seal of the covenant. His second argument, infants were the subjects of circumcision under the Old Testament dispensation. And as baptism under the New Testament has come in the room of circumcision. And I inject here another assumption. And of course, females were not circumcised. Author goes on. We conclude that infants have a right to baptism under the present dispensation. That under the Old Testament, the infants of God professing people were to be circumcised. Cannot be doubted. For the command is expressed, every man-child among you shall be circumcised, Genesis 17.10. That baptism has now come in the room of circumcision is evident from Colossians 2.11, where it is called the circumcision of Christ. It must therefore follow, either that the privileges of the church are now greatly abridged, or else that the children of the members of the church now are to be admitted to baptism as they were to circumcision under the former dispensation. His third argument, that the children of professing Christians are members of the visible church and therefore entitled to baptism appears from the words of our Savior, Luke 18.16 Suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. By the kingdom of God we apprehend here to be understood the church on earth. And if children are members of the visible church, it cannot be denied that they have a right to baptism, the sign of admission. I say, if children are members, then they have a right to the Lord's Supper as well. But that is not 
generally given to infants, particularly today. But if by the kingdom of God be understood the state of glory, the inference is strong that being heirs of life, they ought not to be denied the ordinance, which is the seal of their title to it. His fourth argument, the warrantableness of infant baptism may lie inferred from the commission of the apostles to baptize all nations which certainly includes infants, and from the practice of the apostles who baptized households upon their profession of faith by their domestic heads. Paul baptized Lydia and her household, the Philippian jailer and all his, and the household of Stephanus, Acts 16, 15, 33, and 1 Corinthians 1, 16. And here, Shaw gives a quote from Miller on his work on infant baptism. Now, though we are not certain that there were children in any of these families, it is highly probable there were. And I say that we've already studied these passages previously and shown the author is only assuming what is not stated in the scriptures and that only conscious believers were baptized in such households. The quote from Miller continues, At any rate, the great principle of family baptism, of receiving all the younger members of the household on faith of their domestic head, seems to be plainly and decisively established. And I say, really? This furnishes ground on much of the advocate of infant baptism may stand with unwavering confidence. That's the end of the quote of Miller. And then Shaw takes up his fifth argument for supporting uh, infant baptism. That the infants of believing parents ought to be baptized, and that is sufficient if one of the parents be members of the visible church, is evident from 1 Corinthians 7.14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. That's the end of the quote from Shaw's book. From this section of Shaw's, we see that the arguments are based on what is affirmed, assumed, appears, apprehended, inferred, and finally concluded from quoting passages or partial passages out of context to support his case. However, our time is up for our study today. The Lord willing, we will take up here in our next podcast. Thank you for listening to today's edition of Baptist Perspective. We archive our episodes so you can go back anytime and listen again. Do you have a question about something you've heard or just want to let us know you're listening? visit us at baptistperspective.wordpress.com. That's baptistperspective.wordpress.com. Thanks again for listening.